0: I will
1: Live from the Mecca of Mormonism Salt Lake City Utah this is heart of the matter where mormonism meets biblical christianity face to face i'm sean mccraney your host if you have family or friends who can't watch the show live give them a call tell them to go to hotm.tv and they can watch the show streaming video from anywhere in the world also am 820 the truth uh You can listen to Heart of the Matter on this radio station that broadcasts throughout Utah, 50,000 watts on the AM dial, AM 820, the truth. It's an excellent station. I listen to it all the time. Uh, They have very good programming, and now they've added Heart of the Matter audio to uh, their station every Tuesday night from 8 to 9 p.m. Two announcements relative to our ministry. First, this Saturday afternoon... Burning Heart 08, The Day of Decision. We've been announcing it for a number of months now. Sugar House Park, Saturday, September 20th from 3 to about 8 p.m. The food, Subway sandwiches at a deep discount. Awesome, healthy food offset by things like popcorn and snow cones and the like, Bounce bounce houses for the kids. There'll be uh, churches there so that you can meet them and see if there's a church in your area that you might be interested in attending. Products for sale, giveaways, great music, two worship bands, Michael Davis, guitarist extraordinaire. Adams Road is coming out from Florida. They'll be there to wrap things up. Then yours truly is going to share a message of salvation. Bring a towel if you want to get baptized, come to the Lord, new life there in the park. That will begin about 7.30 at night. It'll be the last thing that we do. So invite your friends, especially your LDS friends and neighbors and family who might be inactive or searching and join us this Saturday at Sugar House Park from 3 to 8 p.m. Baptisms begin about 7.30. Then on Sunday, September 21st, this coming Sunday... Three campus evening services will begin. Campus stands for Christian Assemblies Meeting to Prayerfully Understand Scripture. One of the services at from 7 to 8 will be at the U of U, one will be at Weber State, and one will be at Utah State in Logan. So listen, um, and of course, we're always going to continue to have our a.m. service here at Utah State in the same building, I mean, uh, U of U in the same building from 9.15 to 10.15 a.m. We invite all all to attend. Use this as a supplement to your uh, current church attendance if you want, or if you don't have a church that you attend, you you can start coming with us, whatever you want to do. Go to uh, www.lordsword.org for more information, maps, times, things like that. We had a nice book sign-in at Lifeway Christian Books in Murray last Saturday. It was great to see and meet many of you face-to-face. I Was a Born Again Mormons available uh, there at Lifeway Christian Books as well as at utlm.org or in the store itself. Oasis Books in Logan, Christian Gift in Bible in Sandy, New Life Books in Layton, Sam Weller's Downtown, uh, Salt Lake City, Calvary Chapel, Dolly's Books in Park City, uh, Gift of Grace and Bible Supply in Springville, and of course at www.BornAgainMormon.com. You know, our ministry strives to reach LDS through whatever means is appropriate and true. We've learned that sometimes we should employ boldness, Sometimes we need to use patience and love. Sometimes we will get right in your face. But the core distinctives of our ministry come from the Word of God and are reflected in that book, I Was a Born-Again Mormon. I know some of you won't believe this, but I do not hate Mormon people. I'm not at odds with Mormon people. In fact, I consider the Mormon people my people. But I am ardently at odds with the principalities of Mormonism. And because of my love for the Mormon people, Mormon individuals, I will use any and all honest means and methods to help them see the counterfeit gospel they embrace. Is it unkind for me to call Mormonism a counterfeit gospel? It's no more unkind than Mormonism telling the world that it's the only true gospel on the face of the earth. Why don't I just leave the LDS Church alone and let them worship how they want? Would the LDS Church leave me alone if I started telling people that I was starting a church and I was calling it the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, otherwise known as the Mormons? Never. They'd hit me with lawsuits quicker than you can turn the channel on this show. No matter how much you want to hate me and what I do, your organization needs to look in the mirror. It is doing the very same thing. But they've learned to do it with the aplomb of a corporate attorney with panache and manners and suave presentations. I've said this so many times in the past, if the LDS church admits that it's not Christian, we'll shut down the show and the websites. But as long as you insist on beguiling the world using Jesus as your front man, I'll fight by using your doctrines, your culture, your history, your practices, and your methods. So with that, let's have a word of prayer. Dear Lord, we uh, need you always. We pray for our audience, our volunteers, the station. We pray for uh, this state that it will catch on fire with your spirit uh, for those who are lost and reaching for Mormonism to fall to its doctrinal knees. We, uh, We love you, Lord, and dedicate the show to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Years ago, while I was speaking at an audience, I was asked, what is the main difference you see between the character of Latter-day Saints and the character of Christians? Now, my answer then and my answer now is probably going to offend some of you, but I don't mean it in all the ways you might think. The most apparent character differentiation between a faithful Latter-day Saint And a faithful, Bible-believing Christian is, in my opinion, pride. Now, there are always exceptions to every rule. We've all met Christians who are very proud and egocentric, and we've encountered very humble and down-to-earth, always pointing to God-type Latter-day Saints. But generally speaking, the biggest difference between faithful LDS and faithful Christians is undoubtedly the pride. There are some very good reasons for this. Tonight, I am going to build a case that LDS pride will continue to dominate the lives and hearts of the faithful members of the church until there has been a complete doctrinal overhaul. Let me explain. There are at least seven reasons that the LDS people embody extreme spiritual and often temporal pride. They include, and we're going to show them on the screen. First the notion of a pre-existence. Second, they have an emphasis in genealogy. Third, they say we are the only true church on the face of the earth. Fourth, they have a very competitive culture. Fifth, the priesthoods. Sixth, the lay leadership. And finally, number seven, their soteriology, which is a big word, for their view of salvation. Let's examine each of these beginning with the pre-existence. First, the LDS doctrine of the pre-mortal existence is unique to Mormonism, and it teaches that all the inhabitants of this earth, whether they are LDS or not, lived in this pre-mortal existence where, based on the valiancy of their behaviors, they were placed on this earth meritoriously, meaning if you were really, really, really good in the pre-existence, you came to a really, really, really good LDS believing home. If you were really, really, really bad in the pre-existence, you would come to some inferior place. And back in the day, not today, but back in the day, they used to teach that the black people were kind of bad. And so they didn't get to go to a good place. That was their teaching years ago. In Mormonism, this this teaching kind of stems from a passage that Joseph Smith wrote in the book of Abraham where uh, it says that Abraham was one of the most valiant spirits in the premortal world and because he was, he was chosen to be a ruler here upon this earth. Speaking of Adam and Eve, uh, in the LDS Gospel Principles book, it says, Adam and Eve were among our father's noblest children. In the spirit world, Adam was called Michael the Archangel. He was chosen by Heavenly Father to lead the righteous in the battle against Satan. Adam and Eve were foreordained to become the parents of the human race. Although the scriptures do not tell us anything about Eve before she came to earth, she must have been a choice daughter of God. Sayings like this lend to this idea and this idea that it was constantly propagated when I was a member of the church, and I believe it's still there. My daughters tell me when they go to youth conferences, they hear speakers talking about this preexistent state where you guys were the chosen and elect. And, and so it gets passed down that I have all the blessings I have in my life because of my worthiness and the good deeds I did in the pre-existence before. Elder Iring, one of the 12 apostles now, and now he's in the first presidency, the church said, You know from the scriptures revealed by God through prophets that there was a rebellion in the spirit world when the plan of our journey was offered to us. Those who rebelled did not want to accept and depend upon a Savior nor run any risks that they might not return again to Heavenly Father. Every one of you, he was speaking to an LDS audience, was among the brave, the faithful, and the true in that conflict. You accepted the Savior and the plan for this journey to return to the joy of your Heavenly Father's presence." End quote. Whether stated plainly in LDS canon or not, Mormon leadership has allowed, condoned, and even promoted the idea that if you are born LDS, you are one of the spirit world's most valiant, shining souls. Anyone who has raised LDS knows this attitude is drenched upon the minds of its believers. Interestingly, and as a brief aside, the doctrine of premortal existence is not unique to Mormonism. It comes from paganism. In fact, it was a central thought to Plato's ideal of a thing called forms. I find it ironic that LDS leadership like Dallin Oaks, Apostle Dallin Oaks, will state that Christianity was bastardized by Hellenistic influence, Greek influence, when one of Mormonism's most central beliefs, pre-existence, is straight from Greek philosophy. Now, I don't know if Joseph Smith was schooled in Plato or where he embraced or, and began to apply the pa- pagan doctrine of pre-existence, but I want to give you an illustration of the existence of this teaching. At the Council of Trent in 1546, the Roman Catholic Church partially in response to the Protestant reformers embracing only the Hebrew canon, accepted most of the apocryphal books that were included in the Vulgate, which is the Latin translation of the Bible. These apocryphal books, while at times interesting and somewhat beneficial and informative, contained a number of frankly messy, messed up heresies. In the apocryphal book titled The Wisdom of Solomon, The author, who pretended to be Solomon himself, but was in all probability a Jew who was writing in Greek, promotes a number of non-biblical pagan Greek teachings, including, listen to this if this sounds familiar, the creation of the worlds out of pre-existent matter and the pre-existence of human souls. As Joseph only could, he borrowed and embellished these teachings, and the LDS Church today has allowed its members to use it as the basis for everything from there being valiant souls in a preexistent to fictional plays like My Turn on Earth and Saturday's Warrior. This teaching of preexistent all leads immediately to pride. Another LDS distinctive that contributes greatly to the LDS focus of uh, Attitude of Pride is genealogy. The Bible is clear that genealogies post the death and resurrection of Jesus are essentially meaningless for the sole reason that they separate and promote men and flesh over the adoption of believers through spiritual rebirth. When Jesus succeeded at the cross and overcoming death, the genealogies were no longer important. Especially um, on North Temple, Mormonism has made genealogies very important. Last names are part of a caste system that exists in the Mormon church. And if you're LDS and even if you're faithful, Even if you don't like me, you have to agree that your last name is everything in the church. Why, he's a direct descendant of Brigham Young. That's a Romney. That's a Hinckley. That's a Monson. You know, on and on and on. Last names mean everything. It no longer matters at all. When Jesus is the lead of the life, last names don't matter. It's whether your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, not how tied in you are with the good old boy system and a proper family uh, line or lineage here on this earth. Another reason for pride exists in the rank and file of Mormonism, Mormonism, in addition to the idea that Latter-day Saints were valiant in some Greek myth of a pre-existence, and that Their great-great-grandfather's name was popular. Mormonism insists on claiming that it's the only true church. This is the third point. Therefore, Mormons believe they possess something from God's hand that the rest of the world is lacking. If you reject what they possess, guess what comes out? Pride. We have the truth. You don't. You're not understanding what we possess. You are, you know, we understand, tap, tap, tap. You're not getting the full gospel, pat, pat, pat. You don't accept further light and knowledge, pat, pat, pat. All of these things come into this idea of pride. Spencer W. Kimball, late prophet of the LDS Church, said something I consider absolutely horrific relative to the inclusive power of the church. Speaking of salvation, Spencer W. Kimball said, You see, it, speaking of salvation, is not a matter of righteousness only. That is one of the two important elements. But righteousness alone is not sufficient. Now, what do you think the prophet of the Mormon church said the other element is? It's not just righteousness that's important to salvation. He said, there must be both righteousness and ordinances. Where's Jesus? You know, could you get a statement more opposite of the Christian stance? They say they're Christians. I have not read a statement more opposite the Christian stance. To Christians, we have no personal righteousness. We are fallen, we're sinners. We needed a savior to come in and save us. We're all sinners and come short of the glory of God. Then as to add a brickload of, 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 in the backpack on these poor LDS people, not only is there righteousness enough, he, he tells them, you got to do all the ordinances that are available to us through the church. You know, Jesus isn't anywhere in that mix. Now, if you have received these ordinances from the one and only true church on the face of the earth and you think you're self-righteous and your last name is Hinckley or Monson or Romney and you were born a member of the church because you were a valiant in the pre-existence, you usually are walking around pretty damn proud. That's just about the, the, the extent of it. Pharisaically proud, I would say. But it doesn't end there. There are more pride generators to come. Look at the LDS culture. This is a culture that looks even holds up people who are affluent. They make them their leaders on purpose. Because in Mormonism, affluence is a sign that you have been living righteously and are in good standing with God. It's a reoccurring theme in the Book of Mormon that those people who are righteous are blessed with affluence. Those people who are evil are go down in affluence. And so it's one of their indicators that you are one of the righteous. If you're righteous or following Mormonism and you're wealthy, let me tell you, hmm, we're not worthy, baby. Uh, It's a culture that praises advancements in the world and includes an advancement attitude in their religious application. Young men advance from priesthood office to priesthood office. They use that terminology. Uh, John has advanced from the office of teacher to the office of priest in the Aaronic priesthood. He's advanced from the Aaronic priesthood to the Melchizedek priesthood. These advancements are all indicators of how they think and part of the pride that makes up their heart. Men and women move up in position. Temporal advancement is exalted. Bigger, grander, larger, funner, cleaner, more organized are the operative words for success within the church, all kindling more and more pride. I remember in my years as a member searching for something in my life, reading the Bible and reading what Jesus taught and what he was about, what he describe this life to be like for people who followed Him, and then looking around at the church I belong to. And I'm, and I'm reading Jesus and what He said, you know, the Son of Man has no place to lay His head, and you're going to be persecuted, and, you're, and all these trials are going to come upon you. And then I look at what they're holding up as the sign of being a true believer, and they're completely at odds with each other. Then there are the priesthood advancements. Argue all your want. A 40-year-old elder is always looked down in esteem uh, than a 40-year-old high priest. Pride. And then there's the calling game. I... Used to hear it firsthand, but I thoroughly enjoy being a fly on the wall of the airplanes I am on all the time and listening to the LDS talk. I hate to say this, gals, but the women are particularly onerous in this area. Well, hello, Judy. I haven't seen you in years. How's Jerry doing? Oh, he's really worn out, Susan. He was called into the bishopric last year. It's such a load for him. Oh, I understand, says Susan. Thomas was made a stake president. Oh, really yes and we have such a heart for the bishops in the stake Jerry's a bishop right well he's a first counselor oh, oh oh well pride it seeps out of the plane in the but the final element that contributes more to the existence of LDS pride than all the rest combined Is their doctrines of salvation, or what we said, the LDS soteriology? If this point alone were changed, everything else distinct in Mormonism that generates pride would eventually dissolve. Because nothing will create more pride in the heart of men and women than the false idea that they, through their own righteousness, works, worthiness, and efforts can contribute anything to their standing before God. This is one of the most pressing issues of the Pharisees. They thought that they, because of their righteousness and their genealogy, their relationship to Abraham, their positions of leadership, made them superior to men and God. John the Baptist told them straight up that God could take rocks and make them his own children. Jesus repeatedly pointed out that they were so guilty that there was no hope for them at all except him. You see, any time you add to the grace of God, it is no longer grace. Paul wrote emphatically in Romans eleven six. 6, listen, And if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. You cannot mix the two. It's like my saying, I have a gift for you. Here, give me a hundred bucks. You can't do it. It's impossible. It's either going to be a gift that is free, it costs you nothing, it is a gift, or it's going to be a payment attached to it. Then it is no longer a gift. We're either saved by grace alone, or we are saved by something else that is not grace at all. Paul gave a marvelous example of why grace is grace and is not tied to anything that we do when he said in Romans 4.4, listen. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. It's a tough one to understand, but let me say it again. Now to him that works is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. What this means is that if we work, if we're working, we are owed something. We place somebody in our debt, all right? My work puts somebody in my debt. They have to pay me. Paul said, to those who work, their reward is not received by grace, but it is received because of what is owed to them. The question you have to ask is, does God owe you anything? And if you think God owes you anything, you are categorically insane. You're going to die and have the rudest awakening of your existence if you think God owes you anything at all. That is why we can say you're saved by grace because you can't do anything to earn it. You cannot, it's as filthy rags if you try. But they mix it up. Jesus came and paid the debt in full. We all have the opportunity to receive his offering and through our faith we are saved, given life, eternal life by grace and not being owed, not because someone's in our debt, not because we have worked for it. Now here's the clincher. Once anyone has received the free gift of salvation offered through the blood of Jesus Christ, they are then enabled by the Spirit of God living within them, by the Holy Spirit working upon them and are fortified unto a life of good works. But not before. Because the LDS believe they not only have to do their part to receive salvation, to work in order to be worthy of salvation, to do LDS ordinances, to be acceptable before God, they are directly saying that they are responsible for their own salvation. Once this complete errant belief enters the picture, all sorts of pride issues follow right in behind it. And that's those are the other six that we talked about. You get it? If the LDS change their soteriology or their salvation approach, the worst pride will begin to end. So in summary, I suggest that at the core of all LDS pride is the false doctrine of salvation. When LDS people understand that the full finished work of Jesus on the cross is all that is needed to be fully and completely accepted before God, The pride which stems from pre-existent valiance, genealogy, being the only true church, dressing right, being successful, priesthood and positions of leadership will melt away and the Latter-day Saints I love will worship Jesus and Jesus alone at the cross. Let's open up the phones. 801-973-8820. 801-973-TV20. Listen, we'd love to hear from the LDS. First time callers, if at all possible, have your comments or questions narrowed down to something specific and on task, and no rambling or, or drunken, drunken <laughs> And let's get into something that's good. We have Greg from Boston, Massachusetts calling. He says he's XLDS. Greg, you're on Heart of the Matter.
2: Hey, Sean, what's up? How you doing, um, Greg? All right, here's the deal. Left the LDS church in June. In August, got a phone call from the new missionaries in town. Was polite, thanks, but no thanks. Missionary wouldn't listen to me. Disregarded everything I had to say. Kept on preaching that I needed to read the Book of Mormon. I got mad, and basically I chewed and cussed him out over the phone and hanged up on him. And said some rather unsavory things. Once I hung up the phone, I felt bad because my anger got the best of me. And I started thinking about this—the point that I've opened up a Pandora's box. Because I started thinking about the verse in the Bible that says, you know, if your brother had offended you, leave your offering, go make up with him, and then come back. Yeah. But first of all, I don't know who I chewed out. But then the thing that I—the thing that made me started wondering is that I opened up a Pandora's box. Was I angry at this guy because the fact that he dismissed everything I had to say and acted like I didn't know what I was talking about? But then the other thing that I was worried is that a friend of mine who is a born-again Christian, and these are her words, is when you basically slam the door or chew out a member of a cult, i.e. Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses, you're basically letting them know that they are the true church because they're being persecuted, and you just fed into that. So now, okay, great, so did I give him what he really wanted by basically telling him where to go and how to get there?
3: Yeah.
2: So my question is, is, I'm sure I'm not the only one who's been through this, but, you know, any
1: thoughts? Yeah, you know, your friend's right and I'm guilty of it too, uh, Greg. I do it too. Sometimes I get angry and I say things and and when they walk away, your friend's right. What they say is, see, we're persecuted. They've been taught that, that you're going to have people get angry and that means that you're right all along. The the only thought I have for you, my friend and brother, is to just try to one on one in conversation, talk to them about Jesus, and as the missionaries pester you, to say, well, let's just talk about the Lord, and just keep it on Him, and keep what does it mean to you? What does salvation mean? And try to stay on that subject, forget everything else, and that tends to bring in some peace and love to a conversation that usually isn't doesn't exist otherwise. Does that help?
2: Thanks, it helps, but should I try to track down the missionary and find him and say, look, I'm sorry I chewed you out?
1: No, I just just
2: leave it to God and just say, you know, I'm sorry.
1: Yeah. Uh, Well, you know, if you happen to see him, fine. You track him down, he might think you're stalking him. I don't know. (laughs) Uh, But I would go to the Lord and take it to him and and confess your sin to the Lord and and let him open up the door for the guy to cross your path again.
2: All right. Hey, I appreciate it, Sean. Have a good night.
1: God bless you. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, uh, I want to read an email. This is from Stanley from the Body of Christ Texas, Corpus Christi, Texas. It seems the LDS are changing. What say you? I say that uh, there are a lot of um, highways and byways and paths and all kinds of things intersecting within the Mormon community. You have the apologists who are trying to defend Mormonism using the Bible. You have some a sex or areas of the Mormon church where the people are trying to defend Mormonism and be outright with it you have Apostles and prophets trying to see what's going on you have so many things you have the internet there's a whole battle going on on the internet and I think what's happening is in their attempt to appear Christian and to say things like, we, we believe we're saved by grace, and the missionaries are trying to do this, I think that the membership is going to start to believe it. So I think that there could come a change that is going to surprise them. The Lord, of course, is doing it, and that that's a possibility. At the same time, I wonder if they're, you know, the counterfeit church of the devil and they're just waiting to uh, spring their mind on everybody and, and say, ha, 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 we told you and, uh, you know, drink the Kool-Aid. I don't know, but it, it seems to me that the first perspective is correct, that there's a change going on and, and God is allowing that to work its way. And in time, you're going to see more and more people come to the saving faith of Jesus Christ. We're going to stretch in Payson. Stretch, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey Sean, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well. How are you? Good. Hey, I just had a quick comment. I'm getting a lot of people that are
4: LDS saying they're Christian and I found an interesting quote from John Taylor in the Journal of Discourses. And This was in volume 6 page 167 uh, back in 1858. He says, we talk about Christianity but it's a perfect pack of nonsense Myself and hundreds of elders around me have seen its and parade and glory. And what is it? It's a sounding brass and a tingling cymbal. It's a corrupt as hell. And the devil could not invent a better engine to spread his work than Christianity of the 19th century. Why is it that they say that they're Christian, but yet their own leaders have clearly drawn the line saying that they are not?
1: Yeah, you know, it's stretch. It's one of the great mysteries of the Mormon claims to being Christian. I mean, they they built their church on uh, God telling Joseph that uh, none of the Christian churches were true. That you know, you're going to start your own thing. They reviled and fought against Christianity from the get go. And uh, you have quotes like that from John Taylor. We've got about I, there's an internet site I saw maybe uh, 25 quotes from different noted. Uh, uh, apostles and prophets of the LDS church who have just dis- lambasted Christianity, but now they are trying to say we're Christian. So, you know, their argument's going to be, well, we have a prophet that leads us today, and now we think Christianity's at a point where we want to be included with them. I don't know, but your point is well taken, and, and that's how it is. Well, I... I it, to me, it's just interesting because they want to try coming across... Uh
4: as being Christian and everything, but yet, when it comes down to it, there's uh, a lot of difference
1: there. Well, I I don't know the answer to it. It's a great question, though. It's one of the mysteries, my friend. All right, bro. I appreciate everything you do. God bless. God bless you. Bye-bye. We're going to Dave in Orem, who's XLDS. Uh, Dave, you're on Heart of the Matter. uh, Nice to talk to you, Sean. I wanted to
0: ask one question about the Christian belief of laying crowns at the Lord after the final judgment. Yeah. The Christian walk. Now, why is that motivational technique used to motivate us to have a good heart, do the right thing, and have crowns at the feet of Christ, as if it's almost just after I receive my salvation, now I have to work achieve these crowns to lay at the feet of Christ for the final judgment. So it's kind of like a little bit of a little bit of a trick, a little parlor trick here to get me to do things, and I want to know why.
1: Has someone actually used it on you in a church that you should be doing this to get crowns to lay at Jesus' feet?
0: Oh, yes. It was just discussed last week, and I said, this sounds very familiar. I I just recently became a Christian, got baptized, got my salvation, and now I have crowns like merit badges. Yeah, yeah, you're... I want to know what that's about. Well, uh... And why that is there as some form of after the salvation works,
1: you know? The, the, uh, Dave, the idea is, it should be, and it wasn't what how you were presented with it, but the idea is, listen, when your heart really understands what the Lord has done, and you give your service because of your love and gratitude and respect for Him, and because he's living in you and you're doing all this, it's going to be a joy for you to be able, if he awards you with the crown of glory for your for your efforts here, which you did out of a pure heart, it's going to be a joy for you to lay that crown at his feet to say, hey, it was all for you. But if someone uses it to manipulate you to do something like pick up after the church or sell brownies door to door, Uh, I would just completely turn from that, but don't turn from the Lord. right. Okay. Good answer. Yeah. Yeah. That would bother me too. All right. So keep going, my friend. Hey. Bye bye. Okay. Bye bye. Listen, we got a, an email from Elise in Arizona. She says, I've come out of Mormonism. I've accepted the Lord. What do you recommend in addition to attending church prayer and reading the Bible? You know, um, I have a recommendation for you that someone taught me when I came to know the Lord, and that is turn it over every day. And it, what, it, what that means is in your prayers or in your worship time or fellowship, uh, uh, personal Bible study time, is you, when you pray, you say, Lord, this day is yours. My life is yours. I want to give it to you. It's already yours, but I want to give it to you here this morning. Take it. Use my life today as as how you want it to be used. And you know what, um, Elise? It is really a a wild ride. I gotta tell you, I never believed that to tell you the truth. I thought, yeah, because the Mormons kind of teach you, you know, you pray like everything depends on God, and you work like everything depends on you. And uh, you know, I found it to be a little bit different. I found not to do a bunch of uh, work, preliminary junk that just gets way in the way of God, but to actually really trust Him and say, God, open up a door for me that I can see that it's You, and let me walk in, or close a door in front of my face so I can see I shouldn't go there, and just let me know, help me to see each and every day at least. Try to do that, and it will really start to start to manifest itself that God is in charge of your life. That you're one of his warriors down here on this earth and you are one of his children and uh, it's the relationship that cannot be bought. So I highly recommend trying that in addition to the other things that you asked about. Michelle and Sandy on line four. Michelle, you're on Heart of the Matter.
3: Hey Sean, how are
1: you? I'm doing well, how are you?
3: Good, I've been waiting for you to do a show on this because it seems to be so relevant. Oh, good. Um, My question is for you, since your uh, experience with the Mormons, is did you find that there were that the missionaries were sent to a more desirable location on their mission call due to their standing or their financial ability or their influence?
1: Yeah. You know, I don't have any hard data on that, so it's all conjecture, but I have heard people tell me that if you were of a certain name, that you can walk in and tell your bishop where you want to go, and it well, will happen. Uh,
3: it, it just in my own experience, growing up, it seems like the, the rich kids got sent, you know, to Europe, and some of the other kids stayed, you know, here. You know, they they go somewhere. I guess I don't want to name cities, but less desirable, you know, uh, and just
1: right downtown L.A. and. <laughs> I I won't name names, but
3: yeah, I I can't imagine President Monson's grandkid being sent to, you know, some slum or something.
1: Really good point. Now, I'm sure there are a few exceptions. Like if President Monson didn't like his grandson, they would probably send him to something like that and then use it as an example of their their generosity of uh, whatever. But uh, it's a really good point because it certainly does occur.
3: It, it, yeah, I just think it's something I, I would ask the LDS audience to kind of just be aware of. Just watch it, you know, just watch and see who gets sent where and, and ask yourself why. And, yeah. I don't know. That's but funny. I all, you do, my brothers and, uh, my you. brothers
1: and I all went to the States. I wonder if there's something to that. Dad, you told me you were paying tithing! <laughs> <laughs> I was expecting Australia! <laughs> yeah, That's a good point, Michelle. Thank you.
3: See you, Sean. Bye.
1: Bye. Hey, the lines are full, but we've got no one on the screen. Let me read you another email. McCraney, this is from uh, LSD Stud, uh, Salt Lake City. Okay, I accept Jesus as my Savior. I confess I am a sinner. I want Him to be the Lord of my life, as you put it. Can I go on being a good member of the church and have your Christian salvation? Well, a couple of things, uh, uh, LSD Stud. Uh, First you can't mess with God. All right. So if this is tongue in cheek and you're just like kind of giving me, yeah, I said this and this, then, you know, it's, uh, just, uh, rhetoric and it's perfunctory. You've got to be real. So if you really did accept Jesus as your personal savior, McConkie said you shouldn't do that, your personal savior and, uh, confess yourself as a sinner, that he's the only means of salvation. And, uh, And the Lord of your life, as you put it, if this is honest, then I would suggest you sit back and you ask God where to go, what to do. I'm not going to tell you, leave the LDS church right now. I'm not going to tell you to go to my church. I'm going to say, talk to the Lord. Ask Him to open your eyes and ears and hearts so that you can be converted and you can be healed and you can understand. And let Him lead you in your life and you can't go wrong. The second thing is, is if you're sincere and you trust God to save you, then I would suggest you now attempt to know Him intimately every day in your life, and that would be to get into His Word. And uh, you don't have to necessarily have a pastor or preacher to do that with. You can do that on your own, but open that Bible and read it. And that will help cleanse you. It's the watering of the Word, and it helps sanctify you. And what it does, it renews your mind. Your mind has been filled with ideas that come from Joseph Smith and your leaders. And the way to renew your mind and to pluck those ideas out one by one is through the Word of God. The Holy Spirit acting upon you through the Word of God. And once He is operating as the Lord in your life, some irresistible things occur. This I know. You cannot help but offer the praise of your lips for him. Mormons do not do that. Very I've never heard a Latter-day saint do it. But Christians who know the Lord cannot resist praising Jesus, thanking God for life, for everything, praising his name. That is the sacrifice of our lips, as it talks about in Proverbs. So if you have that propensity coming out, you can tell, hey, something's going on that's never been part of me before. Plus, you're going to offer your life as a living sacrifice. And you'll start to see that sin offends you when you've gone through this process. So those are some things to consider. Let's go to Thomas in Mexico City, first time caller. Thomas. Hey, Mr. McCraney, how are you? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Hey, uh, are you really in Mexico City? Yeah, down here actually carpeting the Mormon Temple, if you can believe that. Wow. Do you have a Do you have a recommend? <laughs> no.
0: Are you serious?
1: I thought you had to to work in there.
0: Uh, I guess they're gonna rededicate it at some point. Okay. <laughs> I guess that God moves in then.
1: All right. So you're re-carpeting yeah. the temple. What color is the carpet? Oh, it's just earth-tony-greeny kind of stuff. So what's happening, man? Um, what I wanted to know is how you pull off being such a great example of a fucking prick. Oh, that was lovely. That was lovely. (laughs) Well, they're just getting fired up, aren't they? Uh, I apologize to you. Um... I guess if you want to hear words like that, you watch a show where Mormons call in. I, I, I'm sincerely sorry, and we have screeners. They do their very best. We have delays sometimes because of things. The delay gets cut out because of technical issues. So we're going to keep working on that. My apologies to you. Let's go to Marvin in Nampa, Idaho. Marvin, you're on. Heart of the Matter.
4: Hey, hey, Sean. How are you?
1: I'm doing well, Marvin. How are you doing?
4: Oh, not too bad. I was going to ask you, Sean. Uh, What is uh, the number one thing that the Mormons love to to try to show non-Mormons to
1: try to convert them? The number one thing is probably feelings. Uh, When you walk in when you walk into an LDS chapel they and they invite you to church Uh, You know you have everybody shaking your hand if if, if they know you're not a member and you're investigating everybody's gonna shake your hand Uh, They have you inviting you to things. They're very good socially. They have beautiful music They have the Mormon Tabernacle Choir you walk on temple grounds. It is like Disneyland on acid. I mean it is just immaculate and trippy and uh And they just know how to treat you right. And so um, they treat you right, and it gives you these feelings. And so the missionaries then start preying upon those feelings. Didn't you feel the spirit when you came into the, into the meeting? Didn't you sense something different? Of course you're going to f- sense something different. You walk out of, the, out of the street and out of your normal life into a place that really caters to this, you're going to sense something different. So I would think that feelings is the number one thing they will use to try to get people to see how they have the truth.
4: I'm going to um, tell you one more thing, and I'm going to let you go, because I want to try to keep this open for Mormons, because you're doing a great job.
1: So, Th- thanks, Marvin. Um, I've,
4: been in, I've been in a Mormon church before,
1: uh-huh.
4: you know, just to visit, like when my brother got married.
1: Uh-huh.
4: And I felt weird, dude. I actually ran out of there.
1: <laughs> well, you know what? I, I've, I've heard that from uh, Christians. I've heard them say, man, i got a creepy feeling. You know, when I went in there, that is when I drive by the temple. I was just like, ah, haunted mansion or something. So they get—I mean, there are people who say they get real creepy feelings. So I don't think your experience is abnormal, Marvin.
4: Yeah, well, so on, Hey, um, I'll be talking to you later on, and can you do me a favor, please? Pray for me. I'm going through some struggles.
1: Well, let's—you uh, know—our op- our lines are full. The operators have nobody up. Let me pray for you right now. Okay. Lord, we pray here on the air for Marvin. We ask that you will uh, protect him and bless him, strengthen him, send him uh, more and more of your truth so that he can stand strong in you, Lord. We pray that you will help him with his uh, difficulties and uh, you will heal him in whatever ways he needs healing. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, buddy. God okay. bless. God bless you. Bye-bye. We're going to Miles in Logan on line two. Miles, you're on Heart of the Matter.
5: Hey, Sean, how you doing?
1: I'm doing well. How are you?
5: Good. Yeah, I just got a quick question here in uh, Logan, Utah. Eli Braley, campus preacher, friend of mine. Yeah. Uh, just wondering about baptism for the dead. What do you what do you say when uh, Mormons bring that up? I know they form a whole doctrine of that one verse, but what's your explanation on it?
1: If you uh, go back into the archives, uh, last week actually, last week we did a show on baptism for the dead, and it took 30 minutes to explain uh, sort of adequately uh, what my explanation is of it. Bottom line, the word for in baptism for the dead means to baptize somebody and replace the dead person with a living one, the dead Christian with a living Christian, because the verse thereafter says, why stand we in jeopardy at every hour? And he's saying, why are you baptizing the dead? If we're going to be in jeopardy for our lives and you don't even believe in a resurrection, why are you doing it? Now, there's another, uh, uh, way to look at that passage. And many people emailed me telling me this is the way I should look at it, but I don't agree with them. But it's, Paul is talking about we, 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 all the way up to the baptism of the dead, verse 29, and then he says they, 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 and then he goes back to we, we, we. And so he's, many people believe that Paul was referring to pagans who were doing a practice and he was just kind of referencing the pagans over there. Why are they baptizing for the dead if it doesn't? They aren't going to rise at all? So that's another explanation, but I don't think it holds water in light of the whole chapter. Does that help?
5: Excellent. Love it. Thank
1: you. Okay. God bless you. God bless you, brother. Thanks. Take care. Bye-bye. I have uh, LDS people come to me often in email, uh, actually on the air and sometimes in person, and they say, come back, Sean. Come back to the church. And I want to say, why would I leave a relationship with the Lord God of heaven and earth, creator of all things, who lives in me, he guides me, he improves me, which is hard to believe that anything could improve me, but because not because I am, am am at the point of total improvement, because I am so far down from it. Understand that. Why would I go back to a religion that has problems with its history? of polygamy and teen wives and polyandry, that has problems with a history with black people, that has problems with a history of blood atonement, has problems with a history of violence, has problems with DNA, has problems with the Book of Mormon, has problems with the Book of Abraham, has problems with the First Vision, has problems with doctrine, with the Bible, with truth, with liberty in Christ, it has problems with pride. Why would I go back to something like that when I have a relationship that doesn't stick me in the confines of any of these strictures, but gives me liberty in Christ to reach out to people in love and to give purpose to life rather than purpose to some system. Be careful when you say come back. Understand what you're talking about when you say that. All right, let's go to Shirley in Plymouth, Michigan on line three. First time caller, Shirley, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean, you're a fucking prick. Oh, gosh. Now, something happened there because uh, I don't know what happened there. Oh, yeah, I guess. Okay. Um, Sorry about this again. We're having a little bit of uh, adversarial stuff going on tonight. So we're waiting for the operators because they've tied up the phones and uh, they're calling again. I'm going to answer this one. Hello. Yeah. Who's this? Hey, Will, you want to go on the air right now? All right. Hold on. Will, you're on the air. Hey, Sean. Here, let me turn off the TV real quick. Okay. Yeah. All right. What's happening, man? What's your question? Um, I'd just like to apologize for the
4: guys that were uh, calling in and talking that way. I'm LDS and it's
1: disgusting. I I know most LDS don't talk that way. These are the bar LDS guys who, they don't follow their own religion, but yet you can't talk about their religion at all. So I understand it's not you guys.
4: Hey, um, and again, I've watched your show a couple times and uh, it's fascinating. I... You know i i personally agree with a lot of things that you're saying i, I think a lot of mormons do oh, praise God. um but but when you do go to church and you do feel the spirit and you're talking you were talking about feelings earlier uh you you overlook a lot of that stuff you know yeah. i mean it's uh it might sound hypocritical i guess but uh, just going there and feeling the spirit makes you know the frustrations you have with some of these other uh doctrinal issues worth it
1: yeah the only problem though is is the spirit that the thing you're calling the spirit you're relying on um, feelings to to tell you what to believe rather than fact
4: uh, what, what about you know I
1: I you know when
4: I joined the church I I uh, you know I investigated other churches and right. I, I have to admit that I I based my decision to join the church on the feelings. And, and I did that with respect to the fact that I I assumed that that was the Spirit of Christ that was, right. was uh, giving me that feeling.
1: Right. And the only thing I would say is, I would probably agree with you that it was the only true church on the face of the earth if you walked in and had those feelings. And and this is a big and their doctrine was consistent with the Bible. See, so I would go along with it being an only true church if you walked in and, and you experienced what you do. But the problem is, you have those feelings. But when you understand their doctrine completely and their history, the feelings cannot support those things because they are they are antithetical to what the Bible teaches. And that's why I have a problem with people who will who will rely on the feelings. In, instead of listening to the facts, but you sound like a very nice guy, and, and let me tell you, after those last few calls, you're a breath of fresh air. Are you still on? I,
4: I, I really, I enjoy listening to your show. I don't think it's, uh, I don't think what you're, uh, I don't think you're just charismatic. I think you're um, a lot of the things that you say are very relevant, and you, you know, you can feel the spirit when when you speak. And, you know, what I would consider the spirit. I don't mean to right. uh, put that in that
1: uh, you know, a Mormon tense. Hey, what's your first name again? We don't have it on the screen because I took your call. Uh, my name's Bill. Bill. Hey, uh, thanks so much, Bill. Really nice to talk to you. Yeah, thank you. God bless. Bye-bye. Yeah. That was a nice call. We were able to dialogue. That was good. Okay, we have two quick calls here. We have Brandon and Bountiful, first-time caller. Brandon, you're on Heart of the Matter. Going well, how are you?
5: I'm doing good. I just want to say from outside the box, I'm not religious at all, but you seem like a really good Christian, for sure. Like, I, I'm not religious or anything, so. Uh, but I've just been browsing through the channels when I got on your show, and I've been really liking it.
1: Oh, good. Thank you. That's but nice my you.
5: question was, because, I mean, I was raised Mormon. I was actually baptized, but then I kind of fled away off of that, and now I, I don't really understand how anybody can actually truly know who God is yeah that, I mean that's kind of my question i don't understand how we anybody know
1: yeah it's you know what it's a great question because we can't know just by our own selves it has to be revealed to you and it's revealed to you in a metaphysical way in a spiritual way, and that knowledge that gnosko, that what what the God get what God gives you um it is uh, ...shared by everybody who has that same uh, experience, no matter what church they go to. Yeah. So when you experience it, you would be able to say, okay, now I know. Yeah. Now, we have a show on knowing, and I think it was in 2007, and we call it knowing. And I would challenge you, if you have the internet, to go back and watch that show... ...because you know when I'm able to do the research, I can uh, do it. But then when I have to think back and I can't recall all the facts... But essentially, Jesus says, I am the truth, capital T, and because he is absolute truth, you can know him and trust him. Everything else has error in it, so therefore you can't really know it, but him you can know, and that would be what I would suggest to you. But I really appreciate your call and your kindness.
5: All right, thanks a lot. And can I ask another question real quick? Sure. I was just curious. I see a lot of other Christian shows, and they're like over the top. You're the first one I've ever came across where you're just a cool guy, you know.
1: Well, you, tune, you probably tune into a good show, because sometimes I'm over the top, too. <laughs>
5: well, yeah, I was just, I just wondering what you thought about, you know, other Christian shows.
1: Right? Uh, you know, it depends on the show, but I would completely agree with you. Some of them are over the top. <laughs> Absolutely.
5: All uh, right, thanks, Sean.
1: Hey, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. He's a nice kid. could be a man. Uh, we have a first-time caller, uh, Douglas. Douglas, you're on Heart of the Matter.
5: Me? Is that me? That's you, uh,
1: that's you, Douglas.
5: Sean? Yes? It's me,
1: Dan. I thought you were Douglas.
5: Ah, uh, for some reason, you guys put me on.
1: Dan, Dan, you know what? You can't call here. I've talked to your mom. You cannot call here. Are you serious? I'm so serious, dude. But this, this
5: show is fun.
1: E- yeah. Email me, Dan, and we'll talk on the email.
5: I might as well just go up there and
1: watch it myself. Come on up. You're always welcome, my brother. Bye. Goodbye. Yeah, literally, his mom called me from uh, California and said, don't let him call you anymore. He's going to get kicked out. All right, we're going to, I shouldn't have probably said that. We're going to Jenny. Uh, Jenny, you know what? Call back next week. We only got 46 seconds left. Sure. Okay. Thank you. I'm sorry. That's okay. Okay, bye-bye. Kind of an odd show tonight, but listen, join us at Heart, in uh, Burning Heart at Sugar House Park this Saturday from uh, 3 to 8 p.m. It's going to be a lot of fun, and we want everybody's invited. If you're stalwart LDS, you can wear a white shirt and tie and suit and come, and I'll hug you, and we just want to eat and uh, go down the slides and stuff together and hear some worship music and hear a message about the Lord Jesus Christ, so join us then. Uh, at Burning Heart Sugarhouse Park this Saturday, the 20th from 3 to 8 p.m. Until then, we'll see you next week here on Heart of the Matter.
2: See y'all.